holy, holy, holy. Holy means to be separate, set apart. And when we worship a holy God, he's set apart. We set him apart and then we exalt him. Tonight, we're going to drink from a well of overflow, from the holy of holies. See, when we get together, it's important that his presence has to be amongst us. Without his presence. God told Moses, go, I'll send an angel and let the people go in front and he'll guide you. And Moses said, without your presence, I'm not going anywhere. Lord, we thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you, Father. Our hearts are open to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. Be amongst us, Father. We can sit freely at the table of grace. We sit at the feet of Jesus to hear what the Spirit of grace has to say. Let our prayer tonight be not our will be done, but your will be done. Sometimes we come with our will and our agenda and what we think we need, but we need to understand that we lay it all down. But God knows what we need. So, Father, thank you for tonight. In advance, thank you for Jesus. And Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit is our teacher. Holy Spirit is our comforter. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. We thank you, Holy Spirit. All the glory goes to Jesus. Praise God. Welcome. Blessings tonight to be with you again. Awesome to see you guys on a cold Monday night. You could be anywhere else, but where would you want to be except in the presence of God? Praise God. So, um, tonight we're going to speak about strongholds. And um, I didn't hear one amen. Strongholds. What's a stronghold? What's the... How do we, we understand strongholds? And it was funny because when this message started to, you know, be in my spirit, and I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks, Rebs um, taught last week about the battlefield of the mind, and, and I thought, wow, like, you know, the Holy Spirit, he speaks to us <clears throat> in different ways, and Rebs and I don't talk about what we preach. We pray and we are led by God, and it seems to be like one after the other. And... You know, when we talk about strongholds, when we're talking about um, mindsets, and a stronghold could be many different things. Um, there's demonic strongholds. You know, the Bible says that we don't, uh, battle isn't against flesh and blood. Um, if you don't know this yet, we don't battle one another. Our battle isn't against human beings, flesh and blood. The Bible says our battle is against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Evil spirits in wicked places. Can you see how the Paul was talking about how they're regimented, how they're in order? Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, wicked, evil spirits in wicked places. All the other way around. But they're all in order. See, the kingdom of darkness is in more order than sometimes the kingdom of light. Only because we, we don't even know who we are in Christ and our authority in Christ. We don't even know who the fight's against. You know, there's two kingdoms fighting at the moment. It's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. We know that the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus, has won. Amen? It's, it's a done deal. The, the devil's just out on parole. But he's causing havoc. So we have all authority. Jesus has all authority. He's been given unto me, and I give it unto you. But we don't know what our authority is. See, the greatest deception in the body of Christ or in the church today is you don't know who you are in Christ yet. You know, the Bible says forgive. Give. And let offense come in. We've got all these different things. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote this scripture to the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church, if you're going to go back a little bit, we haven't got time to go through the whole book. This is the church in Corinth, in Greece. And everything was happening in this church. They were getting spirit-filled, all the gifts of the spirit in operation. If you read the book of Corinthians, that's where we get the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. We get in the, the book of Corinthians, chapter 12, about the gifts of the spirit. Chapter 14, about the gifts of the spirit, praying in tongues and prophecy and but there was one thing that these they had the Holy Spirit. They were getting saved. There was miracles happening. They were operating in all the gifts of the Spirit. But guess what? They were all out of order. They were all out of order. Even in, in, in the book of Corinthians, uh, chapter uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you hear about factions among them and, and divisions among them. And this is where he warns us that if you take the body of Christ unworthily, you eat judgment on yourself. There's a lot of wisdom in that book. And Paul here is writing a letter to the Corinthian church. And he writes the letter and he says, I want to be bold in my letter because if I come and see you face to face, I'm going to talk to you boldly, especially certain people in the church. See, we got this idea. When the Apostle Paul came into town, a lot of preachers went running. A lot of churches went running because he was bold. And if you were out of order, he would tell you. If you were preaching false doctrine, he would tell you. And God gave him that authority. He was the man of authority under authority. Are you with me? And he's writing this, says, and if you read the backdrop, people were accusing them of walking in the flesh and, and all these things. He goes, yeah, we, we walk in the flesh. We do natural things, but our weapons of our warfare aren't natural. But it says here, uh, the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, meaning natural weapons. But it's mighty in God. Everyone say, in God. It's in God. See, I've been walking the walk for 19 years this year in the Lord. And in 19 years, I've seen people come and people go. I've had, I've had the ups and I've had the downs. But there's one thing I know that, one thing that I do know, I can tell you to the, from the bottom of my heart. When you get saved, when you touch Jesus and he transforms your life, that's only the beginning. We're going to heaven, amen? The blood of Jesus secures our salvation. But Paul here is talking about bringing every argument or every imagination or every thought pattern that's against the knowledge of God. So how do we get that scripture and relate it to everyday life? The biggest battlefield today in Australia, per capita of the world, we have the highest suicide rate. In the first time in history, more people on antidepressants and Prozac and all those drugs for the mind battle. The greatest battle at the, at the day is mental illness. Is there something going on that we don't know? They did a, they did a, a, a in, the, in the 50s or the 60s, people from Europe went to America. And in Europe at the time, there was a big increase of mental illness. And that's when the, the Sigmund Freud and all these psychiatrists started to grow around the world and started to operate on the mind. And there was a massive increase of people coming into mental institutions and, 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 and different therapy. It was a massive increase. And they went to America, and they wanted to know why America didn't have that problem. At the time, America didn't have a massive problem with that. And they came to the conclusion that Europe had moved away from God and took out the Bible as the ultimate source and the Holy Spirit as the teacher. And they started to go liberal, and they started to to dissect the Word of God and, and be in churches now in Europe are museums basically now. Great cathedrals, but no, no spirit. And they put it down to that in America at the time, their fundamental foundation was Christ and Him crucified. And look where America's ended up. But one of the things that intrigued me was that it attacked the mind. See, the Bible says God never gave you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of love. Who knows it? Power and do what? So if we don't understand the love of God, you won't have any power and your mind will not be fruitful. 
A sound mind means a stable mind. When we turned away from God, we turned it back to us. It's all about us. There's more self-help gurus out there than ever before. There's so many conferences out there about body, soul, and spirit. You've got all these things. But tonight I want to talk to you about renewing of your mind and casting down every imagination that it's opposite to the mind of God. Here in the last bit of this it says, taking every thought captive that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring it to obedience in Christ. See, if I join a club or I join an organization, or it could be a football club, could be a shooting club, could be a RSL club, whatever it is, I join them. I'm in the club. I'm a member of the club. Do I tell the club what to do? Can I tell my football coach what to do? I can't. Yet we come into the body of Christ, into the kingdom of God, and we want to tell God what to do. But an understanding that God tells us what to do, in the sense that God guides us into all truth. See, the things of this world aren't carnal. Our weapons. What's a stronghold? I look at a definition of a stronghold. And one of the definitions I read was, it's a place that has been fortified so as to protect against attack. Who, watched, who watches movies? Who watched the last one? What was the last one? The King? King Arthur? The Avengers? Superman? I don't know. Watch something. Stop watching TV. He's all dobbed yourself in raps. Oh, it's about three of them over there. So I pointed at raps, I don't But if you watch those movies, they've got cities that are fortified. They've got big walls. They secure the kingdom. If you go watch these old, uh, old um, middle evil, medieval movies, there's a castle. There's a big walls. There's guards. They, they, they fortified the city. They build up a wall so they protect from people coming in and going out. You know what? We do that in our hearts. We do that in our minds. We, we can build a wall of a stronghold in our life just by wrong mindsets, traumas, um, things that have happened to us physically or emotionally or spiritually. Tonight, I don't want to talk about demonic strongholds. I want to talk about the stronghold in you and me, our minds, our imagination. You know, the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I believe that I have received by faith. I haven't received it yet, but I've believed for it, and I have a hope in God that I'll receive it. The hope isn't that I wish maybe I'll get it, or hope I'll win the lotto, or hope it doesn't rain. No, the hope is the, the blessed assurance that God will provide and do what he said he's going to do. But so is fear. Fear is a faith. Fear is something that hasn't happened yet, but I'm scared it will happen, and I believe it's going to happen, and that's faith. Something that hasn't happened yet, but I believe it will happen. But he never gave us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Are you with me still? He says, I'll take every thought captive against the knowledge of God, the Apostle Paul. You know, this is a theory. I'm not making a doctrine. Don't go run out here and say, Tony, you said this is real. But I have a theory. Hear me for a second. I don't believe the recorded act of Genesis where that serpent comes in, starts talking to Adam and Eve, and then tricks them, and they eat the fruit, and then sin enters the world was a first-time event. I don't believe he, that was the first time he walked in the garden and it's just recorded like that. I believe he kept coming. Because the Bible says to Adam, tend to the garden, keep it, subdue it. What do you need to subdue and tend and keep and watch over a garden if no one else there? And was that the first conversation the enemy spoke to him? I believe he keeps coming. See, the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. There's a story. A lady was bragging about she bought this snake. Now, don't ask me what type of snake it was. I have no idea. But it was a snake in, in, a, in like a fish tank. And that lady would take that snake out every night. It was small. And then she'd go to sleep and wake up, and the snake was laying next to her on the bed. She thought that was cute. So every night this would happen, and the snake grew and got bigger. Then she noticed that when she'd wake up in the morning, the snake was next to her, and the snake was dead straight alongside her. She said, that's, that's cute. And then the snake got bigger and bigger, and then she thought it was cute. She'd, pull the, she'd put the snake in the fish tank, then take the snake out at night, and she'd go to sleep. It was a pet. 
And one day she goes, she was bragging to someone at, at a function that she's got this pet snake and, she's, and the snake's doing some weird things and it's funny and she thought it was exciting. That, so cute. I go to sleep and I wake up and the snake's lying dead straight right next to me. And there was a guy there that was listening to the conversation who knew about snakes. And he says to us, excuse me, madam, and whatever, what kind of snake it was, I don't know. And he says, that's not cute. He says, why? My pet. He goes, no. See, that snake is laying next to you every night, watching you how to sleep, watching you how you breathe, every movement. He's studying every bit of movement about you. Because one day you're going to wake up and that thing's wrapped around you to choke the life out of you. He watches your breathing patterns. The lady just went, what? That's the devil right now. The devil knows mankind better than mankind knows it. The devil's been studying men for over 7,000 years. Do you remember when God said to the, to the serpent in the desert, on the dust, on the belly you should go, and on the dust of the earth you shall eat? Do you remember that? And someone tells you that because he used to have legs and he cursed it? Not, nothing about legs. He was reducing the devils after he deceived Adam and Eve to the dust of the earth. Man was made from he reduced him to the earth realm. And he says, now I'm watching man. He's watching mankind. He knows how we think, what gets us in trouble. He studied us to the point. And the Bible says that when Jesus came, he defeated him at the cross. Amen. Amen. But he watches. He knows every move, every move you make. Every breath you take. I don't know the rest of the words. My wife and kids are just going to leave the room right now. See, a python spirit will doesn't kill you straight away, but it watches you, grabs her, wraps around you, and every breath you take and in exhale, it squeezes tighter until you can't breathe anymore. And it suffocates you and it chokes you to death. That's what the devil's trying to do to us. And the first thing he does is put a thought and an imagination that's against the knowledge of God. There's many things he can do, but tonight we're talking about that. You know, how we believe is how we live our life. I used to say this in a simplistic way. Two spirits are controlling this world, and two spirits run us, control us. It's either the Holy Spirit or the demonic spirit. There's no in-between. There's no white dove spirit, and there's no ancestral aura. And there's, no, it's either demonic or it's the Holy Ghost. It's simple. You can fluff it, put it. The Bible says that the, the devil, Satan, came like an angel of light. And when the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus meant it. But that's why we needed to be born from above or born again. The new birth took us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the light. He puts the light on. But now we've got an issue, us. The strongholds in us. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how or what place I came out of. You don't know about my background. You don't know nothing. I don't. But Jesus does. He gave us a way out because there's mighty in God the pulling down those strongholds. That's against the knowledge of God. See, you may have never been through anything, but you still have a mindset that's not of God. What I mean by that, you know, you've got someone who's self-righteous and he bangs his chest and says, look at me, God, I'm, I'm not like all those guys. Then you've got someone over here who goes, whoa, me, you don't know what's happened to me. And it's the same spirit. It's all about you. It's the same spirit. One self-righteous, judging everything, and one self-pity, but it's all about you. I had a lady speak. She got up. We're in a church, and everyone's got issues in this church. Everybody's got an issue. Too long, too short, too fat, too skinny, too loud, not loud enough. All, all this stuff that we go on about in the Western world. And a lady came to preach at the church. She got up on the chair. She was a young lady. I think she was about 22 years old. Remember, who remembers Coney in Africa? The guy who was stealing, stealing the children, child soldiers. She was a girl. And what they do to break their spirit, they would rape these young girls. They'd even get, pro, get their people in their village to rape them at, at sword. They'd just break their spirit. And this girl testified how she was one of those child soldiers and she got raped and she was just used as a 
as a, as a piece of meat to the soldiers. And she finally escaped and they got her out of there. And she's testifying how good God is. And we're sitting there in the crowd and she keeps going, how good God is. What God did in her life was a miracle. And she's testifying to all this. And we're sitting looking at her and thinking, how can that be good? How can God be good when I was 15 years old and I got taken away from my family and got raped repeatedly? And then the, one of the guys that raped her got, um, he was a young boy, he got um, saved out of the, the army and walked up to her and recognized her one day and, and asked for forgiveness and she forgave him. You have to look at these people because if anyone had a screwed up mindset, it would be that girl. But what did she have that we don't have? She believed the gospel. She understood who God was. She understood her freedom is not more. Her freedom isn't based on that she didn't get raped and she had a lot of money and she had a mum. She didn't know where her mother was. She didn't know where her father was. Because she knew that Jesus loved her and set her free. Give me a person that's dead enough from her, their past and look towards Jesus and someone who thinks he's got it all worked out. Casting down every imagination. That's against the knowledge of God. You know, the people of Egypt, the slaves in Egypt, the Bible says that when Moses came, they had been in slavery for over 430 years. So you've got to understand that over 430 years, obviously generations had died and they've reproduced. So the people at the time of Moses' time were people that were born into slavery. They didn't know anything else. They didn't know the abundant life that Joseph gave them when Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. They just know bondage. They know slavery. And everything they do and have is all from Pharaoh. They're working for Pharaoh. They're serving in the Pharaoh's kingdom. They had no choice. They didn't ask to be born. They didn't ask to be born in that family. They didn't ask to be there, but they're there. And Moses comes, and Egypt's a type of, 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 of the world. E Egypt is a type that we were, when we were all born, no one here asked to be born, did they? No one had a decision of what family to be born into. No one here had a decision of what country to be born to. You are a product of your parents, and you come, and you're in no matter what situation. We were all born into sin. Every one of us here was all born into sin. Just like the children of Egypt were born into slavery. Egypt is a type and shadow of the world. Type and shadow of us being born into sin. Sin nature. We don't know any better. God, so that, sorry, so Egypt is a, is a picture of what? Lack, poverty, bondage, slavery. Am I with, are you with me? And here comes a deliverer named Moses. And he tells Pharaoh, let my people go to worship in the desert. And he gets them out. I'm not going to go through every story. He gets them out, and where do they go? They leave the Egypt. They take all the spoils of Egypt, all the gold, the silver, and they leave. So Moses is a type and shadow of Jesus, isn't he not? Comes, sets them free from the enemy, Pharaoh, and takes them out. And what did he want to do? He wants to let's go to the wilderness to worship God because we've got a promised land. And he takes them out. They get to the Red Sea. They cross the Red Sea. God parts the sea. They go through the Red Sea. It's a type of water baptism. You're getting the picture. So when we come to Christ, we're delivered from Pharaoh's kingdom or the devil's kingdom, and we go through baptism, Baptism into Christ's death, baptism into water, baptism, and we go to the other side. Now that we're in the wilderness. Now in the wilderness, God provided manna every day. God provided water from the rock. God provided quail. But would you say that was God's perfect will for their life? They didn't have to sow and reap. They didn't have to believe. They were actually complaining and God still fed them. Their clothes didn't wear out. Manna fell from the sky every day. Birds fell from the quails fell, meat fell. Water came out of a rock. But that wasn't God's best, was it? In the wilderness, God provided, but in the wilderness wasn't God's best. The wilderness speaks of us dying to self. God's providing for us and God's training us to get to the promised land. That's not God's best. Because when they got into the promised land, they had to sow and reap and toil and, and, and harvest and do all the work. But God was teaching them something. That in the wilderness wasn't the right place to be. But in the wilderness is where you find out who you really are. In the wilderness, God could hear their murmuring and their complaining. And do you know when he sent the spies to spy out the land? I've given you this promised land. 
The land is flowing full of milk and honey. There's an abundance of this land. When the 12 spies got there, guess what? They saw giants in the land. Do you reckon God knew that there was giants in the land? But God says, I'll give you this land. And when they got to the promised land, they saw giants. And there was 12 of them, and only two came back with a good report. Caleb and Joshua. The other 10 said, no way. Mate, we look like grasshoppers compared to these giants. We look like grasshoppers to them and them to us. In other words, they really had an imagination that they didn't even know they were there. But in their imagination, we're little grasshoppers and them giants. There's no way we can take the land. Yet Joshua and Caleb believed that they could. Do you know that those 10 spies held back the whole of Israel to get into that promised land? And every person that did not believe did not enter that promised land. They all died in the wilderness. The only two people that got into the promised land was Caleb and Joshua. Moses didn't even go in. So Joshua, you take him in. And Joshua takes him into the promised land. But in the promised land, there's a place called Jericho. Now, God wanted to clear out the promised land. In other words, you know the promised land today? You know where that is today? Christ. He's our promised land. You know, in you, Christ lives and dwells. In the Old Testament, it was a place. Today, it's a position. We've already reached Zion. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But just like we are the promised land, because Jesus come and dwells in us, and he wants an abundance at our heart. Guess what? We've got that much garbage in us that needs to be purged out. Just like when God gave him the promised land, drive out the giants. I'll help you, but drive them out. And they did. Then they got to Jericho. And I'm going to get DK to read this story to show you what I'm trying to say here tonight. So what I'm trying to say, this is a natural picture or a natural story to show you a spiritual meaning. You see, if you don't want to let go of your strongholds or that very thing that keeps you bound or that very thing that keeps you captive, the very thing, see, I get people every day coming for prayer and prayer and prayer and prayer, but until you hate that what you do, until you want to be free, you'll never be free. You'll never be free. Until you submit and surrender your life to Christ totally. You know, a, a, a lifeguard will never save someone drowning until he gives up. While you're kicking and screaming, they'll let you, till you get to the end of yourself and you're about to drown, then he'll come and get you. You know why? Because if he tries and saves you while you're kicking, you'll drown him with you. But until you surrender, say, I give up, I'm just about to drown, he'll grab you and bring you into shore. Until you stop kicking and screaming and trying to tell God how to do it, how are we going to do it, what you're going to do, and what you think God should do for you, you'll never get set free. DK, you ready? Yep. Let's go to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 8. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the Ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the Ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord, before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early and about rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, and she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. 
And you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Amen. So they get to the city. If you read further down, it says that city was cursed. It was demonic. But the people in that city knew they were coming. The Bible says they shut up the city because of the Israelites. There was millions coming across to there. That city was fortified. It, had a, it was a massive stronghold. No one could go in and no one could get out. When we talk about walls in Jericho, we're not talking about just one wall like that. We're talking about walls that could house people inside. It was that wide that chariots would ride around the wall. It was a massive structure that you couldn't get in and you couldn't get out. And God says, I'm going to give you that city. And these people get there. And the Bible says that the, the, the priests bring the Ark of the Covenant. What does the Ark of the Covenant represent? God's presence. So you can do nothing without God's presence, guys. I'm sorry to tell you this, and I'm not against anyone that wants help, but psychology and counseling and all that won't help you if Christ is not in the center. They're going to bring up things, but they're never going to heal the thing. If you're not in God, you're not going to get healed. And they help, praise God, anyone that wants to help you. But if you're not touching the source of life, how do you get life? You can tell me how something works, but until the one that made it puts the pieces in, you'll never get set free. And here they get to the they get to the, the to Jericho, and God says, "I'm going to give you Jericho." But then they get instructions. So the, what the Lord says, "Bring the Ark of the Covenant. My presence has to be there." And then He says, "Be obedient." You know, the greatest test that you have as a Christian is to be obedient. I don't care how gifted you are, how anointed you are, how intelligent you are, how many Bible courses you've done. If you're not obedient, God will not give you what you deserve, because your gifting will take you so far. But when we're obedient, God will bring the victory. Amen. Because we are weak. He is. When I say I'm strong, I'm strong in God. But without God, I'm nothing. And they get to these walls. And this is what the Lord showed me. I know this story back to front. But when, you, when God starts to show you things, and I often think, you know, the people in the promised land never got into the promised land. They, sorry, they got out of Egypt. And a whole generation died in the wilderness. A whole generation. That generation that died in the wilderness, let me tell you something. Who wants to see miracles today? Who wants to see God do miracles? You know, they saw more miracles than most Christians. They saw angel of death go over and the blood protect them. They saw the sea open up. They saw quails fall from heaven. They saw manna fall from heaven. They saw Moses throw a stick in the bitter waters and they became sweet. They could drink. They saw, they saw people getting bitten by serpents. They, when they look up on the bronze serpent, they, they saw all these miracles and not one of them entered into the rest of God. They weren't teachable. They had a stronghold of a mindset of a slave. They said when things went tough, what did they say? Man, did you bring us out here to die, Moses? At least in Egypt, we had food. Wow. You would rather be in slavery? And some of us are like that today. When things go a bit tough and God hasn't answered your prayer, you know what we do? I might as well go back to that lifestyle. I might as well go back to the world. I might as well go back to the nightclubs. I might as well go back to the drugs. I might as well go back to the gambling. I might as well go back to that mistress. I might as well go back to my mate. We go back to the rubbish that we came out of because we didn't get what we wanted and how we wanted it. And it's sad because there's no rest there. It breaks my heart that there's no rest there. And here, he couldn't get those people into the promised land because of their unbelief, because of their arrogance, because of their mindset. They were free people with a slave mentality. And they all died in the wilderness. But the next generation, look what happens. He gets them to Jericho now. If you get to a city, and they're all laughing at him. Look at these idiots. And they walk around the city. The city. They want, no one was allowed to say nothing. They blow a trumpet. And they walk around the city. Imagine walking around the city. Imagine walking around the city and go, are we going to take this land? What do you reckon, what do you reckon Joshua's doing? Look at that wall, man. Look at that guy. He's laughing at me. Look at that building, man. Who built this? I wonder, I wonder, did, um, I wonder, did they get a DA for that room? Um, they walk around this building. And they did this every day for six days. They walk around. Oh, that building. Look at that. That's chariots up there. Look at that, man. Nah, bro, do you reckon we could do this? Uh, bro, what are we doing? I don't know. We just have to walk around. Yeah. They want to die, man. Joshua's looking. Look, look. And they walk around this building. And the more they walked, they would have studied that building and they would have seen it's a big place. It's a massive place. These guys are strong. I wonder how many people are inside. Oh. 
And at any point, they could have said, you know what, this is dumb, I'm stopping. At any point, no, 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 Joshua, you, you lost the plot. But yet, they saw a structure that they could, in the physical, they could never conquer. They didn't have weaponry. They didn't have uh, those catapults. They didn't have anything that was mighty. But they understood one thing. They were this generation that walked into the promised land out of obedience. So they said, you know what? If God before us, who can be against us? Imagine seeing, imagine going by sight. That's a big stronghold, man. How are we going to get into that place? And they walked around until the, they were told to do it seven times. And then they blew a trumpet and shouted and the walls came crashing down. And they took that city and drove out all the inhabitants, killed them all. Because there were a generation of people that were obedient and understood God. The generation before wouldn't have done what they were supposed to do. I'm going to walk around once and said, this is, we're tired. Don't ever be tired by doing what's right. See, the Holy Spirit now, if God can bring down the city of Jericho, a massive fortified city with, an, uh, with no, no weapons except obedience, how much more us as Christians who have Jesus Christ, the hope of glory living inside us with the Holy Spirit, why do we entertain the thoughts of the devil and not entertain the word of God? As a man believes he is, so he is in this world. How you believe is how you determine your life. Faith comes by, who has to do the hearing? I'm saved by, if I believe and repent and believe. My job is to receive what God has for me. The Bible says, build yourself up on your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. Who has to do the praying? And the obedience that got them the victory because the presence of God was with them. There's one thing to have God's presence inside you. The other thing is to be obedient. The other thing is to not entertain the thoughts of the enemy. We go by faith and not by. See, Adam didn't have to believe for nothing in the garden. Would you believe that Adam didn't have to sow a seed and water it? Everything was there. The only thing by faith he had to believe was don't touch that tree or you'll surely die. What did the enemy get him on? That one tree. And he, Eve, Eve ate. Nothing happened. She didn't die. So what did he do now? Now he's going by sight, not by what God said, faith. He ate, and then the eyes were opened. Now, a lot of us walk by sight and not by faith. Has God said to you? What do you believe what God says? See, how do I discern something if it's from God or not if I don't know his word? How do I know to take every thought captive? What if that thought is from God? Is that from God or is that from the devil? Well, let's put it. In examination with the Word of God. See, what I'm trying to get at today is that we can pray for you every day, but if you don't have a hunger to search out God for yourself, you're going to come up, you're going to be like the Israelites going around the mountain every day. And you eventually not enter his rest and die. That was saved from Pharaoh. They're not in slavery anymore, but you know what? They weren't physically slaves, but they were mentally slaves. They had a poverty mentality. And we build walls up on here. We build Jericho walls on the inside of us. We build them up because of our mindset. See, the devil, the devil doesn't build them in you. You build them. I build them. He just, gives you the, he just gives you the material. But we have hope, amen? Look at this. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. I want to share something with you. I've given you all the negatives. Because sometimes we need to poke the bear a bit. Because you need to be free. And who the sun sets free? So let's live like free people. Let's not live like people of the dark. We live people of the light. Romans 13, 11 says, And do this knowing that the time that now is high time to awake from your sleep. Or wake up. For now our salvation is nearer than ever before. Before, before we first believe, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of the light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not revealing in drunkenness and not in lewdness and in lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't give ground to the enemy. That's what he's saying. Put on Jesus and keep him on. 
Don't play, because if you read the book of, about Jericho, God says to them, kill everything, man, woman, and child. They're all demonic people. And the cattle, and just take the silver and gold. But one God decides to take, oh, there's a couple of robes from Babylon. He took a few robes and brought a curse on himself. You can't have it both ways. It's either all of Jesus or nothing of Jesus. Because you could be, I'm in Christ and I'm playing with the world. Guess what? I'll get accursed. I'll be playing with fire. And I'll never inherit the, the blessings of God. See, I'm on a process. I'm on a walk. See, I love saying when Jesus says, come and walk. Mark, get up. Come and walk with me. We'll just go for a walk. We're walking. Me and Mark are walking. Now, Mark walked from here to here. Did his life change that quickly? Did it? See? You're not meant to be what? Well done. Healed in Jesus' name. Jesus says, walk with me. Follow me. Walk with me. We're on a journey, guys. We're not on a magic wand flick. We're on a journey together with one another. Why? Don't come here once every 10 years and think, oh, God didn't do nothing for me. Come on, man. You'll go to the doctor 50 times and give you the wrong medicine. You keep going back. Oh, sorry, I got it wrong. Get a scan. Oh, sorry, I got it wrong. Get it. And you keep going back to the doctor every week. I'm not against doctors. Week after week after week after week and not get better. But you come to God once and you say, well, he didn't do anything for me. Come on, we're better than that. We play with little fires and we think, why did my finger get burnt? He says, put on the armor of light. There's a warfare of light. You know how you do it? If you want to get rid of darkness, let me give you a secret. This is deep. Ready? Got your notes? Get your recorders? It's deep. I'm serious. You want to get rid of darkness? Turn on the light. If he, he who remains in the light, walks in the light, and the blood, Jesus' blood cleanses you. God's not asking for perfection. He's asking for maturity. When we submit, submission is an ugly word in this modern day. Wives, submit to your husbands. I lost the crowd. My wife's looking at me. All right, I'm going to preach this way for the rest of the night. But we've, we've tainted the word submission. I have to submit to Christ. If you don't like the word submission, then you'll never submit to Christ. I submit to my Father in heaven through Jesus Christ, my Savior. Not only do I submit, I say, here, my life is yours, and it's all your way, not mine. I give him authority over my life, and I give him my life. I don't say, you go, look, you have permission, but, but you can't touch this part of my life, and that part of my life, and that part of my life. But I'll, yeah, I'll get the blessings. I'm picking on Mark today, sorry, man. You get what I'm trying to get at here? I'm trying to, trying to show you a picture. Jericho came down, a stronghold that these people could not take down. But in God, we're mighty in God in pulling down strongholds. And it all starts with our mind, guys. Can someone say no to you? The first thing I got challenged as a young believer by my pastor was, I don't want to control you. Okay, yeah, I don't want to be controlled. And, you know, God's your authority. Yeah, God's my authority. He goes, but who can say no to you? We need someone in our life that can say yes, no. Why? We don't know all things. That's why Bobas has given us elders and pastors and apostles and prophets. You're never meant to be isolated. You're never meant to be controlled either, but you're never meant to be isolated. Any man, the Bible says the devil isolates you to your own destruction. There's a time to be alone. There's a time to search, search, search out God. And there's a time to, but you know what? You don't, you're not meant to stay there because communion is fellowship. It's with one another. I'm spending this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7. I like this translation. In the New Living Translation, it says, We faithful preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians that put on the whole armor of God, put on the helmet of, the breastplate, the belt of, the sandals, the shield and the sword 
of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But here it says here, our power in working in us is the weapons of our righteousness. So our righteousness is what Jesus gave us as a gift. Amen? But we work out that righteousness by doing what? We walk in it. And, and the right hand is for attack, and the left hand is for defense. Left hand normally is the shield of faith. Everything is defense. Helmet to protect your head. Uh, breastplate to protect your chest. Belt to hold everything together. Your feet is to, 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 to walk. But the shield fights off the fiery dark darts of the enemy, yeah? So, so far, we're in defense mode. But we don't stay in defense mode. We got to start attacking with the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Here, it says left hand was defense, right hand was attack. Where's Jesus seated? What's the word of God? Who's the word of God? Jesus, the word, became flesh. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and so are we. We can now attack with the word of God. Amen. But if you don't know the word of God, how are you going to fight him? How are you going to go beyond your mindset? How are you going to go beyond your trauma and your fear? I'm not denying you've been through something. I'm not denying you've had some issues. But you know what? Don't stay in the wilderness. Because in the wilderness where everything gets fisted up, but in the promised land where everything gets blessed. But you'll never enter into the rest of the promise if you're not dealing with the stuff that God wants to deal with. But when we're in God, it's mighty. Even if we are dead in our trespasses, but we're made alive in Christ, by grace, has been, by grace we have been saved. Today is the day, the Bible says, of your salvation. And we love to say that when someone gets saved. But you know what salvation means? Sozo, body, soul, and spirit. We enter into his salvation. That means we're washed by the blood, we're renewed by his spirit. And now I have to renew my mind. The greatest obstacle we got is our mind. Our mind dictates where we go. And out of our heart is what we believe. The greatest prayer in the Bible, I often believe, is that guy that said to Jesus, can you heal my son? He goes, I can heal him. Do you believe? He goes, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe you can heal my son. But I've got so much unbelief. That is the most honest prayer of the Bible, I reckon. You know, none of, if I did a survey tonight and I asked everyone, this, do you believe God can heal the sick and raise the dead? Everyone would probably say yes. I hope. If I said God can heal the sick and raise the dead through you, would you believe it? See, we have no problem believing that God can do it. We just have a problem with God believing it through us. See, they had a problem that the promised land was theirs because there was giants in the land. But he goes, no, but God's given us the land. No, 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 man, no, no, no. We don't want to go to war against it. They're too big. So I don't know what your giant in your life is. I don't know what stronghold in your life is. And I just tried to keep it tonight in a way where you understand that our, what we think we know is not correct. How we've been brought up is not correct. I'm not saying everything is wrong. I'm saying that if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it can't be right. If my source of life is what I do and not who I know, I have a problem. I can only do things for so long until the next thing comes about. See, the devil is the master that's tricking you. Like I said, like that snake, he's been watching mankind for thousands of years. He understands. But you know how much authority you have? You have more authority in your little finger than the whole of kingdom of darkness. On your little finger, you have more authority than the whole of Satan's kingdom. And yet we get bashed around every day because we don't know who we are in Christ. We leave doors open. We, we, we don't submit to the Father's will. We don't spend time in his presence. If the Ark of the Covenant wasn't at Jericho and they weren't obedient, they wouldn't have brought the walls down. They would have all got killed. Because out of obedience, out of obedience, they saw the walls, how big they were. They even studied the walls. Think about it. They went round and round and saw how big it was. How, wow, how are we going to? But you know what? They were obedient and they won the victory. Can we stand? I want to pray with you tonight in your seats. The biggest lie you'll ever be told 
is that you can't win. Because the, the, in actual fact, you've already won. The Bible says we are more than conquerors. Jesus conquered, and now we are more than conquerors. One of the biggest lies you also receive is that you have no purpose in planning God. That your identity is not in Christ. That everything you do and everything that's happened to you is what you have. That's where you are. Your past, your, your traditions, your heritage. That's who you are. But well, you don't realize that when you look in the mirror, you have to see Jesus. And the devil wants to distort that image. He's the father of all lies. The Bible says he, he puts... Um, the Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he come to steal? The word of God from you. Kills your dreams, and then it destroys you. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and that life more abundantly, or in overflow. You see, can I say it this way, guys? The quicker we can allow God to touch those areas of our life in our hearts, See, sometimes God is working on us to show us. See, sometimes we go through wilderness experience. Let me say it this way. And in the wilderness, in the struggles, in the tribulations, that's where we know who we really are. And it's not, God doesn't reveal it to hurt you. He reveals it to heal you. I'm a testimony of that. I'm on a journey just like you guys. I'm a testimony to that. But if we're looking for worldly wisdom to get us to promised land, you'll get what the world gives you. But when you want godly wisdom, you'll have freedom forever. I want to look to the world. And what I mean by that, doesn't mean that people in the world can't help you, but my source of life has to be the Holy Spirit. Has to be the Word of God manifest in me. Has to be the love of God. The love of God sustains me. He gives me power and He gives me a sound mind. I, read, I could have read statistic after statistic today. See, whatever you, in, you, whatever you give ground to, you empower. Oh, you know what? If I do that, I might have a mental illness. I might do this. You know, that what, the, what this guy says, you've got to eat this. You've got to do that. You, gotta, you know what? What you do, you will give power to the enemy. The fact is there was giants in the land. Were they lying? No. That was the fact. The truth is God's given us the land. The fact is my x-ray says I've got cancer. But the truth is Jesus has healed me from cancer. The fact is, I'm, a little, I'm in poverty, but the truth is, Jesus has blessed me abundantly. See, the facts don't take away the truth. The facts is not in denial. But, the, but you would rather get the facts and exalt the facts instead of exalt Jesus, who is the truth. And the truth will set me free. And the Holy Spirit will bring that truth to you. So I'm going to pray blank, a blanket prayer. Because I'd rather you touch heaven than me bring heaven down to you. Nothing wrong with laying hands and bringing the anointing. But no. I do it. If I do nothing else but life, I just walk in God's presence, I'm happy. But you need to learn how to walk in God's presence. You need to know your Father in heaven. There's no magic wands. Please, can I tell you it this way? I have seen miracles like that. One guy come in, get touched, leave set free, delivered. Ice, gone. Never touch the ice again. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs. Rabs and I went and saw miracles in Brazil. We could tell you about the sovereign move of God, power of God. I could tell you to the, I could write a book on what I've seen. I could come and see this woman full of faith, never got healed. The woman didn't believe, got healed. I could, tell, I could write books on it. But it's not about the magic wand. It's about Jesus. Any man is clothed with Christ is a what? A new creation. Was Jesus thick? Did Jesus have mental illness? No. We have to have the mind of Christ. And all these weapons of warfare, it's not natural, but it's supernatural. Don't be scared of the supernatural, guys. I want you to close your eyes. I want you for these three seconds. Four seconds, five seconds. Because one second is like a million years in eternity. And I just want you to know, just, just you and God, just you and God. And I want you to picture a cross. 
And that's the altar. And on that altar, I want you to cast that imagination that's against the, what Jesus did at the cross. See, see, right now, right here, right now, I'm feeling led by the Holy Spirit to do this right now. Whatever your situation is that you struggle with, whatever you need from God, on that cross is the altar. The altar was a sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. On that cross, Jesus took the sin that we, the punishment of sin that we deserved, he took that upon him. So if you have sin in your life right now, I would put that on the altar right now. On that cross, he broke every curse. If you believe you're under a curse, whether you look where you are or you aren't, it's not my issue. If you believe you are, then you are. Because according to your faith, Put it on that cross. The Bible says, curses anyone who hangs on the tree. Jesus was cursed so we could be blessed. If you have poverty in your life, and there's a history of poverty in your life, why don't you put it on the cross as well? Poverty is a curse, the Bible says. If you have sickness in your body, the Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. Put it on the cross. If you have mental issues, depression, anxiety, you've been told certain things as a kid, that you've had traumas, Put it on the cross. Jesus took the thorns on his head and he crucified our natural mind. The curse of the ground, the thorns and the thistles on the ground when Adam was cursed, cursed the ground. Jesus took them and put them on his head. He crucified our natural mind. If you have shame in your life, Jesus was hung naked on that cross. He took our nakedness and clothed us with righteousness. If you've been disowned and rejected, whether it's family or friends, husband or wife, fathers or mothers, Jesus was rejected. And he took that pain and put it on, put it on the cross now. If you think God owes you something, put it on that cross now. If you think that you're righteous before God because of what you have done, put it on the cross right now. If you're holding on to your kids because you think that you can protect them, put it on the cross right now. If you feel like you failed as a parent, put it on the cross right now. If you have not done what God has asked you to do, put it on that cross right now. If you've walked away from a call of God on your life, put it on the cross right now. Because on that cross, the whole of kingdom of darkness was put on that cross. And Jesus took the punishment of the whole of kingdom of darkness, took it upon himself and paid the ultimate price. And God's wrath was satisfied on that cross. Because the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the sinless lamb took it all on that cross. If you've built up a story in your mind from trauma, from wrong belief systems, from wrong teaching, from, from, from your own offense or unforgiveness, and you've built up this fortress like Jericho inside your heart, put it on that cross right now. Because God doesn't like one by one, he smashes that whole stronghold down. If you're not loved and you don't feel loved, put that on the cross right now. Don't let anything rob you from the love of God. Because it was because of love Jesus went to the cross. I want you to picture Jesus on that cross. Everything that I've just mentioned and more. You know what's in your heart. Is on that cross. You picture Jesus now. One man. Taking the sin of mankind. All at the same time. God's punishment was upon him. But look what Jesus did on that cross. He yelled out. 
with a loud voice. It is finished. And gave up his spirit. So, Father, I thank you right now for every individual, because they're all individuals in your mind. They're all your children in this. That Jesus is standing before you individually. And he's concerned about you individually. And he loves you with a love that's so exceeding that you cannot comprehend. A love that is untouchable. It's eternal. And I thank you, Father, tonight. I declare, Father, by the authority you have given me, by the word of God that's inside me, that you want me to declare today over each individual here that they are free. That the blood of Jesus cleanses them and washes them from all unrighteousness. That their sins have been forgiven. And the blood of Jesus removes any blot over their life, any stain over their life. Because of what you did at the cross. And Father, I thank you right now that the Holy Ghost is upon everyone right now. That you would form Christ in them, the hope of glory. You would smash down the heavy heart or the broken spirit or the mind that, come, that exalts itself against you. And we pull down every stronghold that they have built. And I have built, Father, knowingly and unknowingly that the Father of all lights can flow through their veins. Light up their spirits, Father. Wash them with your blood. Lord, I ask you to increase their faith while pulling down those strongholds. You became that we could become. You who knew no sin became sin that we could become the righteousness of God. We exalt Jesus and what he did at that cross. Every time you get a thought, an imagination, a fear, an anxiety, pull it down by saying, Christ has set me free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. He's your comforter. Don't let anyone rob you of your peace. Learn to forgive quickly. Release people straight away and lift up the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Everyone lift your hands to heaven. Just receive what heaven's got. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God's presence. Every day I wake up and say, Lord, wipe out what I think I know and tell me what I should know. Every day open, uh, empty your vessel so he can fill you. Don't clog up your heart with things that, that don't matter. Open your heart and release the things that God can fill you continually. God wants to fill you continually with his presence. God wants to touch you in any area. He'll meet you where you're at. He loves you too much, but he loves you the way you are. But he loves you too much to keep you the way you are. Don't just settle for just enough. God is more than enough. God is a good God. I don't know what struggles you're going through. All I can say is, we're going to walk with you, but let the Holy Spirit be your source. Understand what Jesus did on the cross. Declare the finished work of the cross over every person here. The devil has no grounds over any person in this room. Enough. You break every bondage in the name of Jesus. Any shackles in the flesh, Lord, we cut them down right now. Any soul, hurt souls, Father. Any soul ties, we cut them off right now. We plug them back into you, Father. 
spirits that have been wounded. Father, we ask you to ignite them again. Father, you never withhold from your children. There's no curse in Christ. And Lord, I ask you to bless everyone today. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you would speak straight into their spirit, man. Not into their mind. Their mind is not fruitful. Let the spirit of their mind know what the spirit of God says. Let the heartbeat of Jesus be. Thank you, Jesus. He's got a promise, guys. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. If you think God's left you, he hasn't left you. Thank you, Father. I pray, Father, that they would be children in a family. They would understand the Father's love. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. Lord, I ask you tonight to touch them, even when they sleep. Let them have an encounter with your mighty spirit. Let them know how much you love them. For perfect love casts out all fear. Fear has to do with torment. And the love of God's not perfected. So, Lord, I ask for the perfection of your love. That we are children of light. And the light shines in the darkness. So I thank you tonight, Father. I thank you for the work you're doing, a deep work. The deep calls on to the deep. I give you praise, Father. I thank you, Father, that the victory is theirs. Because I know one thing, guys. Even in the valley, I can still see the victory because Christ has overcome and we are more than overcome. Christ has won the victory. Stop giving ground to the enemy. You have authority. Walk in your authority that Christ has given you. Declare his name in every situation and realize now that your mind is the mind of Christ. I thank you, Father. And Lord, I give you all the praise right now. All the honor. All the glory. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. I, I honestly don't feel led to pray for anyone tonight. I really feel what God's doing internally, what God, where God's taking you internally, if you don't know Jesus tonight, you're the only ones I want to pray for. If you want to come up and give your life to Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus. But honestly, I want to encourage you guys. Stop entertaining the thoughts of the enemy. Start feeding on the Word of God. My prayer is that the Word of God, the Scripture, will become real in everyday life. Not just the Scripture that we send to one another and we read. It has to be our living source of life. Amen? God has got the victory, amen? Listen, I, I really felt a shift in my heart today to encourage you that you, are, you guys are awesome and you're going to win the victory. You, you don't look at the facts. Look at the victory through faith in Jesus, amen? Amen.